Whatever I say, if your pastor disagrees, you listen to him. He's right. He is certainly the last of the good guys, man. Known Pastor Ortiz for quite a long time from a distance. I remember doing his church and and uh, what's my password? <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> I'm not one of these water bottle guys, but I don't know why. I'm just uh, thirsty. In Christianity, there's always messages on different topics that can be profuse and cohesive and coherent and have content. Um, most Christians believe that an unforgiven sin would be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is true. Jesus said that. But there are inside sins that kind of private, quiet sins that people do that can actually be the same as, as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's a sin of unforgiveness. A lot of us uh, deal with different people and we have to tolerate different people in our lives and Different people have ripped you off and done things that are that are wrong in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, they've done a 180. They've evil, vile. They've been apostate to where they leave the faith, or they deny Christ, or they were Christians. And I hear of Christian artists, great Christian artists, that all of a sudden they've they've done a 180 and they've denied Christ. But there's a sin that that we tie, we pretty much live with, with people that we know there's some friends that don't like certain other people. And a lot of it is because there's unforgiveness that's there. And unforgiveness is very serious because if, if we want to be like Christ, remember in the 80s, the people wore the wristbands, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? And when we, we look at the fact that we want to be like Christ, we read the Gospels, Matthew written to the Jews, Mark written to the Romans, Luke to the Greeks, John to all of them. We see the fact that there are people that don't really want to be like Jesus Christ. We want to read the Gospels to be like him, but there are other people that will be like him in a theistic way. Theism is, you know, you could believe in evolution, but God kind of jump-started it. And some people live a theistic life where they don't totally look at the scriptures in their life and they don't live that. And the, and the principles are there, but they don't obey them. And a quiet sin is unforgiveness. Well, mom is not going to forgive Uncle Joe. Mom doesn't like Uncle Joe. And, you know, mom sits there, I don't like him. And I go, I'll never, I don't want him around. You know, it's kind of an attention thing, especially when you have kids around. The kids kind of... Listen to all your, they tolerate everything, kind of. They have to be kids because most adults wouldn't. But kids could be amazing. They could be racing motorcycles and go over three jumps, 85 feet in the air, and they come up. They touch a brake, and it brings it down like this, and boom. That's why young kids fight wars. I love motorcycles. I've been to Alaska three times and back, and uh, all the way to the Arctic Ocean, the top of the world and back. 
I still can't do what my son does on a motorcycle. I used to be able to when I was young, but it seems like when you're young, you could take this kind of pressure. Unforgiveness imprisons people in their past. You're in prison. You're not like God when you don't forgive. God is a forgiving God. So for us to be like God, we need to be forgiving people. It's so important that we look at our own life and we go, am I a forgiving person? And if you're not, you can keep it private and still go to church and fellowship with the people that you like. Some people you don't like, you don't fellowship with them. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love one another by word of tongue, but deed and in truth. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, keep my commandments. We love someone to tell them the truth about their life. We look at Matthew 7, 1, 2, and 3. It says, judge not lest ye be judged, but when you're seeing the sins of a brother or a sister, you go to them in Matthew 18, and, and you, you share the gospel with them, say, look, you're, this is wrong what you're doing. And you go to them privately, and they don't listen, you take another brother. And if they don't listen, you take somebody else. They don't listen, you present it to the church. That doesn't happen a lot. But that's a discipline from the church to people, to us. That if we want to love a brother, not by word of tongue, but deed and in truth, 1 John 3, 18. It's so, so valuable. Unforgiveness is a cruel, heartless, relentless, ruthless, unrelenting, remorseless, revengeful life. Unforgiveness is like taking poison, but expecting someone else to die. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you, C.S. Lewis. So to be like Christ, Christ is forgiving. If we don't want to be like Christ and you're not going to forgive, that angers the Lord. So we want to be like Christ and take on his personalities and that's why we read the Gospels. What did Jesus say in that situation? How did he respond in this certain situation? When boiled down to it, the essence of unforgiveness is hatred. Unforgiving people grave dig the past. As long as you continue not to forgive the brother or sister, you're shackled in their offenses. You're chained to a wall. You may not think so, but you are. You're not happy. And your children, your husband, or your wives, your friends become the victims. Thoughts become malignant. Memories become malignant. The longer you process unforgiving thoughts in your life, it gets worse. As the years go on, it gets worse and worse and worse. People around you become victims. Harassing memories and anger gets out of control. It's almost like you think you have a reason to do that. You don't have a reason to do that. Get over it. Put it in your rearview mirror. Don't unscramble eggs in your life. It won't work. You can't do that. You know, the great thing is, is I remember a friend of mine wanted me to steal some graham crackers. He said they're, they're chocolate covered and everything. I was nine years old. So I went in the store. I had a coat on in the summertime, 
I got the graham crackers. I put it there. Oh, it's cold in here. And I walked out. I threw them in the brush. Guy came out. Didn't you steal? I lied. I felt horrible. I thought, look, if my parents discipline me, they spank me, and my dad spanks me, that, that's better than feeling so lousy inside. So I said, Mom, Aggie, I want to talk to you. I called my dad Aggie. Short for Aggie Janney. That's what I want to be called. So I, I, look, I stole some crackers, and I feel horrible. I want to take them back in the morning. I want you to know that I just feel horrible. Man, I felt good. I, I thought, well, they're going to discipline me. They're going to, all right, you go to bed and think about it and have prayer over it, okay? I did. I just felt good. I couldn't sleep. I felt good. I like, I'm clean. Man, I can't wait to take it back. This is what I did here, you know. It's amazing how forgiving people can be. When you're honest, people around you become victims. You save the worst behavior for the ones you love the most, your children. Every conversation becomes a form of your ugliness. You can cause a death sentence for your life of anger and bitterness. People have been so angry as to say, I would rather go to hell than forgive my wife or husband or friend or brother or sister. These might be metaphors, but to forgive is to write in large letters across a debt, nothing owed. <laughs> to forgive is to take out the garbage and dispose of it, and the kitchen smells good. <laughs> to forgive is to loose the anchor that holds a ship and let it sail away. To forgive is to grant a full pardon to a condemned and sentenced criminal. Jesus has given us a pardon for salvation. The attitude of forgiveness is, is Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls or stumbles. Some people rejoice in their misfortunes. Forgiveness is a virtuous, liberating, loving attitude and act. It makes sense to forgive. It's healthy. It's wholesome. It's sensible. It frees you from tension and anxiety. It brings you peace, solicits love. One philosopher said, I don't know if he was a believer, but it's beautiful what I read. It, Only the brave know how to forgive. It is the most refined and generous element of human virtue. The power to forgive flows only from a strengthened greatness of soul, conscience of its own humility and security, and able to rise above all the little temptations. But we are compelled to a much deeper discussion. I think it's brave to forgive. It is. A person can hold hate, and it could be, you could be just destroyed by bitterness, happiness gone. The person that is hated may never, ever know that they're hated. Um, I, I do about, I don't know, maybe about 110 concerts a year. Work a lot with Franklin Graham, all of his crusades, and Greg Laurie's Harvest Crusades and things like that. I travel around and a lot of different people come up to me. One, one person came up to me and said, uh, told me his name, and I've, I've had bad feelings about you for about 10 years. And first thing I'm saying is, I must have done something terribly wrong, and I tell me what it is, I'm really sorry. He goes, well, you know, I was waiting in line on the platform, and you were talking to people, and then somebody got your attention, and I was standing there alone, and you left. 
And I said, that's out of, I'm out of line there. I'm so sorry. When you're able to just, even if you don't know, just say you're sorry. It's important for you to just look at your own life and say, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect person. But we need to try to be. Not I'm so important, I'm so heaven bound, I'm no earthly good. You're going to be earthly good. It's a time of confrontation, not negotiation. We need to confront truth in our own life and accept it and say, I need to be a better person. I need to be a, a, a student of the word. If somebody came up to me and said, where did Jesus say he was the son of God? You should know the scriptures. We need to be educated by the, by the Holy Spirit and educated spiritually. We're educated in the world. Good night. I was doing a concert the other day, and uh, I was in the lobby ready to go, and church was full. It was a Sunday night, and this big guy comes up to me. It looked like he'd been through three world wars and won every one of them. <laughs> How you doing? I wanted to meet you, you know, and I, good to meet you. He said, see that old yellow bus out there in the back? Yeah, I saw that old crown bus. That thing's probably in the 60s, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I overhauled the transmission yesterday so the youngins could go to, go to camp on Monday. I said, you overhauled it? You split the casing? Because I do mechanic stuff. Yeah? You took all the throw bearings out and the clutches and the spring. Did that myself, the ghost. I'm pretty proud of it. And this guy's saying things about me like I'm some great star or something. Introducing me. And I get on stage, I go, I want you to meet a friend of mine. And I brought the guy on stage. It was really cool. And he's kind of doing this and they're clapping. He, he just kept standing there, you know, just smiling. It's, it's amazing how educated people could be in the world. But are we spiritually educated? Do we know God's word? Do we know the names of the 12 disciples that follow Christ? The 12 tribes of Israel, the judges of Israel, just your ABCs. Do we know if a person comes up and says, tell me about the Trinity, go right to the verse. Where did Jesus say he's the son of God? John 3, 16, John 10, 36. Well, we want to become like Christ. Colossians 3, 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is getting heavy here. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Verse 15. But if you don't forgive other sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you of your sins. Uh, wow. That's pretty amazing. I believe eternal security for the secure, basically. But that's how serious it is. If we don't forgive, and we go the other route, and we're not in the character of God and the mind of Christ, I don't know. This is what it says. Your heavenly Father won't forgive you, so watch yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. But if they ask forgiveness and they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and come back saying seven times, I repent for what I did, you have to forgive them. Your heavenly Father won't forgive you. 
So we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you find a family or a friend that's in prison in unforgiveness and you see them in pain, don't ever rejoice in a person's misfortune. You know, artists do that sometimes. Hey, did you hear about Jerry? Yeah. Well, he, you know, da, da, da. He's not in the ministry anymore. Oh, really? They want to kind of talk about it. How about calling the guy? What happened? Jerry, what happened? Are you sorry for what you did? I'm not. Okay, shame on you. Iron sharpening iron. It's great that we have brothers and sisters that sharpen you. It's great men, we have wives that sharpen us. You know, they even write neat and all that stuff, and neater than we do. The more organized that we are, there's something about women. It's just amazing how when God created them, he created them in his own image. It's not some man thing. Genesis 1, 27 and 28, men and women created in the image of God. And so we could take on some attributes and that, that, that they have that we can learn from. I can learn from. You know, I'm like a sea walrus in a china cabinet sometimes. You know. And it seems like that they just tolerate us. If you find a family or a friend that's in prison, you pray for them. In most cases, an unforgiving person will always rejoice in your misfortunes. Matter of hate. If we walk in the light like he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ forgives us of all sin. If we say we have not sinned, we're deceiving ourselves. You're calling God a liar. You say you haven't sinned. I've met people that think that they've never sinned. L-I-E. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Let no corruption talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building and it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Be not angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give opportunity for the devil. Wow. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give opportunity for Don't get into this pick an argument thing. And then you're going to go to bed. Well, I'll show you. And I'm over here. Don't do that. You give an opportunity for the devil. That's what it's saying here. Proverbs 15.1. Get things right. And a good way is to, to get it over with is a person asks you what time it is, don't tell them how to make a watch. Just get it right. I'm sorry, dear. I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. Huh? He'll lay there and, huh, that's great. The dog's even happy. Everybody's happy. <laughs> I have a 10-week-old Yorkshire Terrier at home. Her name is Mia. She thinks I'm the greatest thing living. She's always kissing me here, right? Putting the paw there, like holding me. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Even the dog's happy. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and their sins. Will I remember no more? God has a power to forget your sin. You repent of your sin. You're the only one that's going to remember it. Don't remember it. Don't even think about it. He has wiped it from his memory. 
He separated it as far as the east is from the west, that way, not north and south where it meets. These verses are incredible. I will separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. Proverbs 27, 6. For I will be merciful in your iniquities and your sins will I remember no more. In Proverbs, Psalm 103, 12. God will delete your sins. Faithful are the wounds of the friend, but the kisses of enemy is deceitfulness. We said that already. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive? Seven times? If they repent seven times? The Lord didn't talk about repenting, although it says that you, you rebuke your brother so he's strong in the faith in Titus 1.13, Luke 17, 3, 4, 5. But if they ask forgiveness, you forgive them. But here Jesus said, you forgive them 70 times 7. Didn't say in the verse, well, the guy's got to repent 70 times. That's 490 times. Jesus made it very clear in, in his parables where we find a king, Matthew 18, a king represents God. But a king had servants, and this one servant was a real slothful servant. And the king told the servant, you owe me money, you need to pay me back. And the servant goes, well, I, I can't. And I think it was like 10,000 little sacks of gold you owe. Your whole life you can't pay it back. So I'll put you in prison. And, and the, the guy gets down on his knees and both knees, and he begs, and I can hear him now. I'll try to pay you back, you know. I've heard guys do that when I've loaned money. I'll pay you back, bro. I don't want to be your bro when you act like that. Don't be like the gooey like that. <laughs> no. My horse isn't like that. No, I'll pay you back. And so the king goes, okay. I'll take care of your debt. It's not owed. You go ahead. Does he go back rejoicing? No. Walks around like a real cool little slave here. And he walks around. He sees a guy that owes him 100 pieces of silver. He grabs the guy by the neck and he shakes the guy. You need to pay me. I love the way the Lord says these parables. And so the other slaves saw what was going on, what happened. They went and told the king. King calls this guy back, his slave back. And I took care of your debt that you owed. And this is the way you treat other people that owe you. When I forgave you, I'm going to throw you in prison. You need to pay me back. And that's what he did. Now, you may say that's a parable. In other words, it's a, it's a fabricated story that's true, that has a meaning to it. Yes, it is. But there could be a love letter, too. Love letter is just one chapter. It's from Philemon. Philemon was a man that owned this nice place. He had church in it. He wasn't a believer, but he had church come, probably his wife and other friends said, can we use your home? Yeah, they came. And so there was this guy named Onias who was a slave to Philemon. And uh, Philemon 
just happen to leave and go to Rome, take a vacation. 700,000 people in Rome. He was there walking around. And Philemon runs into the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is talking to Philemon and leads him to Christ. At that time, Onias, the slave, took some money of Philemon's. And he was just going to take what he could and then split and go to Rome. And nobody would find him. So he steals this money from Philemon. Philemon goes back home. He realizes that the guy had done that. He's gone. But Aeneas, the slave, runs into Jesus. And Jesus talks to him. No, runs into the apostle Paul, forgive me. And Paul talks to him, and the guy gets saved. This Aeneas gets saved. And so at that time, Paul is put in prison in Rome. And he writes Philemon. He goes, please, I'm going to send this slave back to you. And whatever he has done and whatever he owes you, I'll cover the, the cost of what he owes you. Now, this isn't just a parable, which I love parables. They're phenomenal, especially, you know, Luke 15, the prodigal son. It's incredible. But this is a real live love letter of forgiveness. And I want you to forgive him, and I'm going to send him back to you. And I don't know what money he has. He probably spent your money. But I'm sending him back. And I want him to be uplifted above the other slaves. I want him to be like a right hand to you. He's a beloved brother in Christ. Paul writing this. So this is probably an incredible love chapter when you think about it. Of, of forgiveness. And we need to be more like, like him. More like Christ. How valuable are people like you? Very valuable. You might say, you don't know me. You ought to see it from this side. It's not too pretty. You might say that. You're phenomenal. It's Sunday. You got the playoff game's going to happen. You're here. This church is full. And your mind is on knowing Jesus Christ. Your mind is on being faithful and available and teachable and being here and learning and letting the Holy Spirit teach and admonishing you. And you might look at the people that wrote the Bible. You might say, well, you know, they, they were really godly people. No, they weren't. I mean, they, were, they did great things, but they weren't godly. Adam compromised God's law, followed his wife in sin, lost paradise. Noah got drunk and conducted himself in a lewd way. Noah was a great man. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But there were still problems in their life that they had. There was Abraham who doubted God, lied about his wife, and then committed adultery. And then there was Isaac who learned how to sin from his father, did the same thing with his wife Rebekah and lied to Abimelech. Jacob, who literally extorted the birthright of Esau, deceived his father, and he, was, and he raised a whole bunch of crazy kids. <laughs> Moses, Moses. Moses was a murderer in his past. Moses cried out in pride, trying to steal God's glory and struck the rock instead of obediently speaking to the rock. And God said he could never enter the promised land that he led the people to. Aaron, the high priest, his brother, that's really silly. Aaron, the high priest, led Israel in a worship of the golden calf and accompanied an orgy. You know what he did? All these people are going crazy and he's building it. Well, I have to show them that I'm spiritual. Let's burn incense to God. Dumb. Dumb. 
So he burns incense to God. Oh, but he makes the golden calf that they worship. God used him. God used Moses. Come on. First five books of the Bible, amazing. When you look at some of these, these people, these failures, God used them. Joshua, God told Joshua to wipe out the Gibeonites. But he was so deceived by the Gibeonites that he made a treaty with them instead of destroying them. So the Gibeonites hung around to cause trouble endlessly in Israel. And there was Gideon, Gideon who had no confidence in himself, less confidence in God's plan and God's power. Samson, who was a marked man and with his lustful love for Delilah. Samson compromised righteous devotion as a Nazarite with Delilah and lost his strength and lost his eyes. Samson was a, a judge of Israel. The judges are Ehud, Shemgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tolar, Jerah, Jephthah, Ibsan, Eli, Samson. Samuel and Samuel's sons. And here he is still uplifted, but then he lost his eyesight. He sinned. I don't see you guys doing that. Especially when we look at David, the all-time ladies' man. Every time he saw a lady, he liked, he married her. Didn't matter how many others he had. An adulterer, a murderer, a lousy father, and a man with such blood on his hands, God wouldn't let him build a temple. But he wrote the book of, of Psalms. And God used him. Let one of his close friends die over his wife. God still used him. Now there are Christians that say, yeah, but his wings were clipped. He never flew as high. Oh, don't do that. Don't, don't add to the scripture on that. Then his son. Then there was Solomon, the world's leading polygamist. 700 wives, 350 mistresses. And yet he was free to build a temple. You don't have 700 wives, 300 girlfriends. You're faithful. You're here. You love God. The Holy Spirit's in your life. You want to be able to shine your light to, to the lost, to your friends. You love the Bible. You love freedom. Freedom to study the Bible. God used, he wrote the book of Proverbs. Of course, it was God telling him what to write. He was smart enough to okay and write it. Israel comp compromised the commands of the Lord, lived in sin while fighting the Philistines, lost the ark, lost of God, and God used Daniel. Then there's so many other people that are here that <laughs> Habakkuk, yeah, he Married a prostitute. Crazy. But there's, there's hope and there's, there's ways that we can know Christ by not just comparing ourselves to these people. I look at them as godly men that God choosed. And uh, I don't know. I don't even look like a guitar player. You know, I, I don't know how I fit into music sometimes. You know, um, some of it I don't understand. You know, most guitar players are short, thin, and very anemic looking. <laughs> but much better looking than I am. I'm not good looking, but I got a personality, you know. <laughs> and I'm able to uh, share Christ with people. You know, it, it, some of the biggest fishes I ever caught was, I was uh, at the Caymans. Franklin and I were flying to uh, 
Panama to do a crusade. And we stopped at the Caymans to visit a friend and, and went out in the water. And here's this guy, dark hair, comb back, you know, looks like Samson, good looking guy, you know. How are you doing? He goes, doing good, sir. I said, where are you from? New York City. I go, New York City, get a rope. No, I was just joking. <laughs> no, New York City. Well, good. Uh, what line of work do you do? I'm an attorney. Oh, okay. So uh, you, you're here visiting? Well, Dr. Furman's a friend of mine. I'm a doctor, too. I'm a heart surgeon. You're a heart surgeon, and you're an attorney? Wow. Well, tell me about what you do. I told him. Within 15 minutes, I led him to Christ. And I thought, coming out of the ocean, this guy's the biggest fish I've ever caught. <laughs> He's smarter than I am. <laughs> Got A's and everything. And uh, we get out, and, and I said, uh, Dr. Furman, I want you to know that Larry here just accepted Christ. He goes, Dennis, that's really good. I said, okay, it's good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good, man, I was just so excited. He was excited. He goes, I asked Christ on my life, and I feel that he's here right now. You know, and kind of like that. He was a tough guy, you know. But uh, how many people do you have, the people look at you, that you're the closest they'll ever come to knowing Jesus Christ? You're the closest they get to the Holy Spirit. And then they, they walk by you and shoo, and you walk by. How will they hear without a teacher? How will they hear without someone that's going to tell them and love them? Guitar players don't change the world. It's people like you that are, that are incredible changers. It's one-on-one. -on -one. You sit and, hey, I want to take you to coffee. Okay, great. You know, you go to coffee, you sit out there, and you're able to, you're able to share Christ. And they listen, and then you lead them to the Lord after a few months, maybe. And just thinking, if not, you've planted seed. Everything that you say out of here, and from the Holy Spirit, it comes. And the Word of God, it never turns void. And, and the Holy Spirit helps you witness he helps you along. He gives you the situations that come up. So I, I just hope and pray that you, you believe that. that. There's a God that cares for you. He loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you. Some of you are here that maybe you've never accepted Christ. I don't know. Only God knows and only you know. But at this church, no one wants you to grave dig your past and spill out everything that you've done. In this church, they just want you to make a commitment to Christ. That we're all born with a soul that never dies. It lives for eternity. Mankind, all the way through, and God said this, and there was light, and God said that. Then it was real personable. Let us make man in our own image, plural. And after our likenesses. And some of you need to do that. I'm not going to have anybody stand or come forward. But I'd like us all to bow our head and close our eyes right now real quick.
the Lord God is speaking to you that you may say, you know, I'm just not sure and I want to be sure. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. But I know that there's hope in Christ. And I've never accepted him and I'd like him to come in. I want the Holy Spirit to come in and take over my soul and live for eternity and never leave me. I'd like you to say a prayer after me silently because God hears your heart. And this is very personal. It's very private. Christian, Christ within, a personal relationship you can have with him. But I'd like you to say this prayer. It's a simple prayer. And just repeat it after me silently. Lord God, I need you. I'm sorry for my sins. I accept Jesus Christ into my life. Thank you, Lord, for coming in. Thank you for your Holy Spirit living in my soul. Help me to pray, Lord. Help me to share your love with others. Thank you that I'm a Christian, Lord. And no one will ever take that away. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to have anybody stand or come up here. We haven't planned that, but... I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to count you. You just said that prayer. Stick your hand up and be real proud of it. Okay, start over here. All right. Yes. about 45 of you. Lord, we thank you for these people. Thank you that the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now over just one of these people coming to know you. Thank you for their honesty. Thank you for them raising their hands, saying the prayer that you're inside of them and you'll never leave them and you're going to give peace. Thank you for that, God. In Jesus Christ's strong name, we pray. Amen. Let's give these people a hand. Let's all stand. We have people on each side. If you'd like to come and have prayer, there's some things that maybe you're, you want to pray about. You want someone to pray with you, and that's what they're going to be over here on each side. And feel free to, to do that.